Welcome to You Can't Kill Me, a podcast about Slipknot. We're going to do things slightly differently this time around, Dave Mosson. It's our first interview. It is indeed. Um, And I think I speak for both of us when I say that there was only one place where we could really start. In every show, I think we've mentioned this band. Yeah. So I'm delighted to say that we're joined for our first one by Sam from Palm Reader. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. Um, We're going to go straight into the Mm Slipknot side of things. I think we'd both like to come around to Palm Reader a little bit later on. Um, but we wanted to start with your band, and we were told that you were the man to start with. So what, what is your relationship with Slipknot? Slipknot were the uh, sort of the first band I heard uh, that kind of started all this off for me, really. Like, I had a, at the time when that first album came out, uh, I was in primary school, and I was well into Garage. Uh, and I physically remember like uh, my mate's older sister was really into like Slipknot Manson loads of bands like that and uh, he showed me the CD and uh, I physically remember taking out like pure garage anthems like three or whatever out of my CD player and putting in that first self-titled album and just being blown away like I think initially like I could kind of it made sense because it had all the break beats and that that I was used mm. to from Garage, but it, it just it, at that point it I just sort of one eighty and went, oh no, yeah, this is this is what I'm going to be doing. Like it's it was just fucking phenomenal. I hadn't heard anything that like raw or visceral ever. It was just uh, yeah, that was kind of the turning point really. It sort of kicked it all off. What kind of a scene did that drop into? Iowa, a couple of years later, and I rocked up in Guildford in 2003. Mm. And there's a there's a bit of a vibe there, because the, the Music Academy, yeah, there are music fans around. The Boiler Room was, mm. was you know, kind of up and running by that point. And it felt like Slipknot was able to, to drop into a fertile territory. Yeah. Was that around, you know, up, up the road at that point as well? It's sort of hard to say. Like, like I said, when that album came out, I was in primary school was my my last year of primary school 99 so whether I, I didn't really have a frame of reference as to whether that was happening sort of in venues locally I didn't really know about it for I you know it was a good sort of five years before I was able to play in local venues really before I was in bands and that you know um but I think it what happened was is it it meant that there were a lot of kids around that were, you know, coming up like me and starting to play in yeah. bands. And, yeah, they all ended up... We all ended up playing at the Boiler Room, the Star, playing at this this club night mutiny at Backline, you know, playing places like that, playing weird little venues in Woking and things like that, yeah. It all started with Slipknot. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, it, it really did, yeah. So in terms of their influence on you... As a as a musician, then I mean, were you already playing guitar when you first heard Slipknot? No. So no. did did they have a particular impact on you when you when you first picked up a guitar? Did did you want to play their stuff, or, or or was it more of the sort of traditional classic guitar bands that uh, hooked you in? It wasn't. I don't think it sparked. Uh, I don't think it gave me the impetus to start playing music necessarily, which is weird, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, it was a couple of years before. I think I think it was because I didn't. I just had that one friend who yeah. really liked it, and it was just sort of like a thing that we had. That that was, you know, it was just my mate Ben who 
listen to Slipknot and we go paint Warhammer models and that was sort of like it, it, it wasn't really anything more than that at like the age of like 10 or 11 um, and it wasn't until secondary school where I'd met some other people one of my friends uh, who'd been living in America for three years him and his older brother came back and um, they were all into you know again Slipknot Manson Ramstein, all those kind of bands and that's when uh, I started playing and initially I started playing bass simply out of uh the need for them to have a bassist in the band so that's that's where i started um but yeah i think as far as it influencing me as a musician it gave me an idea of regardless of genre or i don't know overall their sort of ethos that that sort of thing definitely inspired me Mm. i wanted to be able to write raw visceral feral music yeah yeah and I mean, in terms of in terms of Palm Reader's sound, like there are some bands out there you listen to, and you can tell that that band grew up listening to Slipknot and wanting to play stuff like Slipknot. Don't necessarily hear a ton of Slipknot in Palm Reader's sound, but I'm guessing there is something in there. Like, what's what sort of influence do you think that band has had on your band? I think it's. I think it might be more of a a mentality and a, an approach. Hmm. Um, Certainly, the other guys in the band like Slipknot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just I think it. There are bands like Slipknot where I think, like you say, you can. There are some bands that you can hear that really like Slipknot and want to play music like Slipknot. But to me, it just seemed a bit redundant because that's their thing mm. and they do it so well. Yeah. That to try and ape that. It's a bit, you know, futile. It, I just can't see the point of it because it sort of comes across as a bit obvious and contrived. Yeah, yeah but I guess the attitude that they they have amongst themselves can can serve can serve you in other. In other yeah, ways. definitely, definitely. I think um, that sound of uh, they sounded genuinely annoyed. Yeah, which there are a plethora of heavy bands that you listen to, and you know, no matter how loud they're screaming or how low down they've tuned. I still don't think they're that pissed off. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just not. It's uh, it's a bit just sort of for show, really. It's just yeah. kind of it's just the sort of fashionable thing. Whenever we speak to you guys, it seems like Palm Reader is an amalgam of different influences. You all have these different areas, these pockets of taste that you bring to the band. Is it the heavier stuff that that you bring, and you know the the more soul based side comes in the punk side comes from someone else what's what's your kind of contribution to the the sound uh it's it's hard to tell uh, i mean so the main songwriters are really like andy and josh but um yeah i don't i don't really know I, there's i think at, at least at this particular stage like where we are now especially after just recording the last album like I feel like we're all into we still want to explore new directions and try and you know have softer bits and far more dynamics and there'll be far more sort of uh, diversity and variation in what we're doing but there's still any time there's a heavy bit there's you know I still want to play music that makes me want to kick my own teeth out yeah. like it, I, it's just something I can't stop and I think Slipknot are sort of blame for that, really. Like, yeah. uh, 
I remember being younger and people always saying to me, oh, you know, you'll grow out of it. And I'm, I'm 30. And yeah. that first album comes on and I still want to, like, rip the steering wheel off. It's... Yeah. Yeah. It, I just can't can't stop it, really. It's, yeah, we've all been there. Yeah. I mean, we're a couple of years older and we've taken the conscious decision to start a podcast talking about <laughs> every single song. Rightly so. so. Yeah, that's growing yeah. out of it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, you just can't... It's it's inescapable yeah. for me. Yeah. Slipknot have played music like that for years and got huge doing it. And we've spoken on this show before about the Iowa cycle. Suddenly they're already massive. Yeah. Those days are gone, right? That, that the heaviness of that band would make the business side of that impossible nowadays. What's it? The extent of the ambition for for you guys in terms of keeping the the heavy side going. But growing an audience in the cities that you come and play in all the time I don't necessarily think that um, I mean we've obviously thought about our you know how much quote unquote success we can have whilst we are still playing in drop G and screaming at people because that obviously immediately limits <laughs> the, you know your uh, the amount of people that could be interested. You lose quite a lot of people the second just scream sometimes. You know, with any band really. Yeah. Um, but I don't think we've ever necessarily sort of made a decision to sort of stray away from that. It. it I think our ambition is just to write music that we're really proud of and we feel that challenges us and we just if we can just keep doing that and more people are interested then that's that's I think all we can really ask for it if if we can be able to write stuff we're truly passionate about and have more people turn up to shows and buy CDs and make it easier easier for us to do that then that's I think all we can really ask for yeah and you're limiting to the right people then as well you you need fans who appreciate what you're doing for the sake of doing it right yeah that, that creative outlet is there for a reason and the people who appreciate that are the ones that you need to keep yeah involved. i'm not really interested in being a flash in a pan for a quick buck it's uh, all the all the bands that we respect and draw influence from really are you know they have longevity and they're, they're bands that are revered and they might not be the hugest bands in the world but you know their fans are their fans you know they they, they really really love that band right I think it's time for our quick fire round I'm going to pull it back and make <laughs> it really ultimate Slipknot in as in a short, short amount of time as possible so got some quick fire questions for you really Slipknot focused just don't think about them too much okay. just off the top of your head let's have your answers so What's your favourite Slipknot album? It is the self-titled. Iowa is so aggressive. Mm. And, you know, like Volume 3, they started really exploring some sort of, you know, more... I don't want to say softer, but there was, there was you know, more sort of hooks and choruses involved. And yeah. it's, it's great. It's got some great tracks like Vermillion. And, but, yeah, the first titled, because it just, it's just where it all started for me. I think if it was released today, it would still rip people's heads off. Yeah. It's just that good, in my opinion. And who would be your favourite member of Slipknot? And what's your favourite mask of theirs? Probably Chris Fenn. Yeah. I think that, and the, you know, the first mask, that, just a huge nose. Yeah, I'd say that one. Okay. It was just, it was just really odd. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
if you were to have a line or a lyric from Slipknot's back catalogue tattooed on your skin, what would it be? Uh, I think it would be the end, one of the end lyrics in Surfacing, I think it is. I'm the push that makes you move. Yeah. I think works on a couple of levels. Yeah. I think I think that would be probably the only one without a load of swearing in that you can sort of explain to your nan or people's <laughs> yeah. children, you know what I mean? Yeah, probably, yeah. And um, last one on the quick fire round, and it's kind of fitting given what we do in our regular episodes because we're, we're ranking all the Slipknot songs, but curious, what's your all-time favourite Slipknot song? Yeah, this, this is difficult. Um, it, so I, I might say The Shape off of Iowa, okay. mm-hmm. which is sort of obscure. But I think that might be either that or liberate. Okay, it's between those two, I think. Good. Yeah. Falling into the trap of giving us two songs we haven't recorded yet as well. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Excellent. Sam <laughs> on the list. Um, Chris is your favourite member. I'm fascinated about your it's tortilla man now, isn't he? Well, yeah. <laughs> about your about your. Um, Levels of appreciation for the for the guitar players and also for Paul. Actually, if you started sort of, sort of on yeah. four strings, yeah. So, what about those guys specifically was was able to draw you into to the sound of? Slipknot? I think well initially, I didn't really get into the musicianship of Slipknot until quite a lot later, and I think because at the time I had no sort of frame of reference for really what they were doing and there was nine of them it was kind of overwhelming and so I got into bands like that without sort of trying to play what they were playing because I just I, I just couldn't it was crap so I fell into shortly after that alongside listening to like Slipknot I was listening to bands like uh, Rancid bands like that where it was slightly more approachable and I could I could more hear what was going on um, but the yeah, list, going back and listening to Paul's bass lines is just insane. And I think if you listen to what uh, Mick and Jim were doing like years ago with the obscure kind of sounds and y- the amount of bands you hear now doing these, you know, even us, you know, in earlier albums where we've got these weird, horrible, discordant parts, you go, oh, that's where that's from. Mm. That you know, they, I think they really you know they really started a lot of it it was they just they were so unique i don't think anyone sort of really knew anything like them it was uh yeah did you ever get a chance to go and see them live yeah yeah i saw them at hammersmith apollo i took loads of wicked photos it was when they were touring with machine head and children of the bottom Mm. um and i lost my phone which was cool um i actually got to years before i got to meet them my mate's uh, dad drove us to a signing a Virgin Megastore in Birmingham so I've got their debut album signed like the inside yeah. uh, lyric book signed by all of them so that was cool um, yeah and then my missus got uh, us tickets to go see him uh, on the tour before last I think it was oh, yeah. we went to see him at Ali Pali and um, fucking phenomenal like yeah it was so good they they still Oh, fantastic live. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, backed on that. I mean, we saw him on the most recent tour at the yeah. time of recording, and uh, yeah, just stunning, stunning live band. Yeah. Um, 
one thing we often talk about on this podcast is cover versions where there are cover versions <laughs> 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 you can see where yeah. this is going can't yeah, you? So, yeah 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 got to ask you about your version of my plague which as it happens is actually the first piece of palm reader music i ever heard jesus <laughs> um, and, you, and you were interested from that yeah i really was yeah i mean like, we got so much hate on you because the yeah they released it uh, on youtube yeah um the comment section was just going off they they didn't care for it which was hilarious so how, how did that song how did that cover come about and why why that song in particular so with all those cover albums with all those things that we've we've done before you normally get given uh your pr team approach you or your manager and just says listen kerrang metal hammer or whatever are doing a covers thing it's this themed or these are the bands that you can choose right you know deftones pantera or whatever have already been taken up these are the bands that are left kind of thing um and um by the time we got approached i think there was slipknot and another couple of other bands but immediately we thought slipknot but which track and um i can't necessarily remember why we picked my plague i think it was because it was sort of there were elements of it that were akin to sort of what we do it was a bit more you know fast paced but with a bit of chorus that we yeah. could utilize Josh's voice for um so yeah we just kind of pulled it apart and made it really abrasive well, I was going to say, I mean, like, there's there's usually two ways of doing a cover, isn't it? It's kind of a, a fairly straight way, or there's a there's yeah. like Biffy Clyro doing Buddy Holly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yours was much more of that deconstructed thing. Like, I mean, was that was it important for you to do it in that way and really put your own spin on it rather than just go for a straight worship to the song? I think so. Yeah, um, we've done straight covers before, uh, but. Uh, yeah it just made sense to I think it's for one it's difficult to cover a song of a band that's got four more members than you there's Fair. there's a lot yeah. going on in that you know um, but yeah I just we, we learnt the song just as as it is you know right. we learnt to play the song like that and then just thought well we'll change that bit change that bit let's not have like a really kind of like driving upbeat ish chorus we'll just slow that right down and make it sound horrible yeah because that's what we like doing yeah. and I like Josh changing bastard to our soul as well get, yeah get that yeah, Britishism yeah, yeah. in there yeah, yeah you gotta get a few sort of yeah get some of those woken vibes in <laughs> you've done a couple of covers more recently as well on the, the split with Conjurer yeah which as we're recording is only it's, a few months old and it's yeah. all Chris plays and it's yeah I've, I listen to it probably once a week still um, I listened to it on Saturday before I came out to the show. That Vermillion cover's good, isn't it? I don't know. I sort of prefer the other ones. Yeah, it's it's, it's sorry, it's, boys. It's really good. Yeah, I'm not sorry, Brady. Um, I want to talk about your covers on there as well because it feels like you might have had a bit more control over what you chose for that rather than a, a sort of magazine process. Yeah, absolutely. So, what, how did you end up with with those two very disparate choices? I suppose that was part of the reason. Yeah really yeah we wanted uh something that sort of uh we didn't want to do two songs that kind of sound the same or two songs that people would expect you know if, if we'd have you know i guess covered like a fine a poison the well tune and a uh, a botch tune or something i think a lot of people would have gone yeah fine um 
But I think it was important for us to, especially with the Thrice song, was to do something that we really like, but a lot of people haven't heard a lot of before. Mm. Um, and the Rage track's just really fun. Whilst they're a, you know, rap rock band, um, that tune in particular really sort of, I guess, resonates with a lot of what we do anyway. It's just that kind of just aggressive driving feel to it. Yeah, I, I think that's why we picked them. Really, we like you say, we had a lot more agency over what we wanted to do. It was, I mean, the, the split only really came about because we were chatting to Brady at Download, and he said, "Oh, trying to find someone to do a split with," and then Andy just went, mm, "Well, we'll do it." <laughs> it's really that simple. <laughs> and like the record says, it's four covers nobody asked for, but you know, you got them, and we're happy to have them. Yeah, they're glad. I mean, I know we we talked before we push before we push record on this. You were saying like your area is more the first three albums, but obviously, you know, Slipknot are still doing stuff, still oh, yeah. doing new albums, and and We Are Not Your Kind came out last year. We between us, it was probably our album of the year. It was Chris's album of the year, my number two album of the year. I think. Mm. Do, have you had a chance to go in on it much? Like, what would you think of Slipknot now? Bits and bobs. I. D- yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to be that guy that's always like, I'm fairly rounds down. Because <laughs> it's just, it's really cliche and sort of, you know, just sounds jaded and that. Mm. But I guess I do. And I I don't know if it's an issue with quality or nostalgia. Yeah. I mean, I mean, maybe quality is the wrong word. I mean, they're, they're obviously still, you know, they have a huge fan base that is just growing exponentially is that you know they're just continuing to get bigger and bigger um but yeah I've, I've given it i always give them a listen yeah um but i just think maybe i don't know what i don't know what it is it might be production maybe and i just don't feel like i mean the the original main songwriters aren't in the band anymore yeah, yeah. yeah. um and so i think it was probably like you said like Paul's bassline you know but the, the way that they approached songwriting and what they did was so intrinsic to that uh, early Slipknot sound that I found I could really engage with um, I, yeah I don't know I just haven't fallen out of love with them at all but I just can't seem to it doesn't the new the newer stuff doesn't go in and sort of stick and like resonate with me as much it was a real moment in time as well those first three records in particular yeah it felt like they were current and vital and dangerous yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely well like I said it was uh, like I don't know whether it's quality or nostalgia like because of me coming up like it was it was you know as I was becoming a teenager and going going for all that like you know like a lot of, a lot of kids that were listening to it you know you went from listening to the garage and playing football and going fuck this I'm going to go get a skateboard some bolt blue jeans from the market and just go hang outside Barclays in the rain you know like just listen to metal yeah so so going back going all the way back then to those early albums like why is it you think that that they that they stuck that they connected with you what was it just as you said earlier was it just that ferocity that rawness or because there's so many things around I mean you know there's like the tribal element there's the the whole sort of outsiders being able to come together and, and unite mm. on something. Do you, do you think there's any one thing that really 
really made sure that they embedded themselves in your skull and didn't move for a good few years. Yeah, the the sort of the, just the ferocity and the rage, I think, really resonated. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know if that's got anything to do with, like me having short man syndrome or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but it just it just sort of made a lot of sense to me, and I don't know why. I think I was having this conversation with someone the other day. Like, I think people that are into heavy music, they're the brain is just kind of wired a different way and it's really hard to explain it to other people they just don't sort of they they just don't understand it they've got no frame of reference you know they say how can you listen to this and it's 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 like a tool at the end of the day it you know sometimes you want to listen to something and just rip your face off and just but other times you want to listen to something that's just got loads of groove and is really chilled uh, and i think it was hearing them meant that I could have an outlet for all that kind of pent up rage that I had mm-hmm. for absolutely no reason growing up in a suburb in Surrey. You know, like, it's, it, yeah, it was, um, they just, it was immediate and I couldn't, I can't really pinpoint anything other yeah. than the fact that it just did. Yeah. And, um, yeah. It just, I, I, yeah, it's probably the rage thing, really. I think, that was, I think that's what it was, really. Listeners with a particularly good ear will know that you are currently on tour with Employed to Serve. Yeah, um, yeah. You've hinted at the answer to this already, but we've got to ask: What is next for Palm Reader? Album four. Come on, it's album four. Yeah, yeah. Um, are you as excited as we are? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, I think so. Yeah. Um, we are very excited with the capital V, just to give you some context. <laughs> I'd say we might even be like all caps, very wow. excited. Yeah, um, all the music is now done. We've started getting some mixes back. Um, yeah, well, I, I'm really, we are really, really pleased with it. Um, I think I know it's the best thing we've ever done, with, without question. Um, uh, we took the opportunity like the time to go to Middle Farm we still recorded with Lewis who we've done the other three albums with and like now he's we're we're so used to working with each other and he like really understands what we're going for and it's there's a lot of stuff that he does that we don't even have to question or it's you know it's just sort of unspoken it's 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 really easy um, working with Lewis and um, yeah we had the opportunity to just sort of really go ham with everything and just throw as much into it as we possibly could. Um, and I think that it's really paid off. Good. Well, so, congratulations. Um, uh, thank you. I'm, I'm, yeah. uh, we're really, really um, looking forward to getting it out and um, being able to uh, play some of those songs because they're just uh, yeah hands down the best stuff we've ever heard well we can't wait to hear it no um, but we'll leave it there for now um, <laughs> so thank you very much for your time thanks for having me time. You Can't Kill Me is produced by This Decay and we'll be back with more interviews and more episodes uh, about individual Slipknot songs when we can be asked yeah bye bye